Welcome, 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 one and all, big and small. You've reached the podcast known as The Three Carnies. So come on, let's show you around. I'm sorry, Alexi. I can't give you what you want. What is it you think I want? Remorse. Regret. And I would do it again for you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to another exciting edition of Carnival with your favorite three carnies. I'm Jen. I'm Monica. And I'm Tana. And today we come to the middle of season two, which is episode six, The Road to Damascus. Is any of our characters going to have a road to Damascus moment? Let's find out. Sophie wakes up and sees the ghost of her mother is lying next to her. She freaks out and leaves the trailer. The convoy is packing up for an all-night voyage. Ben is securing things to the truck and hears the door slam. He goes over to see Sophie is now in the passenger seat. Before he can drive off, Sophie stops him and asks him to run away with her. He thinks she's joking at first, but he says that he's got something to do where they're going. At the Crow House, Justin is venting to Norman about Iris. He does not understand her motives. He says only after suffering comes redemption, and this is something she needs to learn. Then in the Dreyfus family car, we have the Dreyfus family and Lila, and they're playing a 30s version of Botticelli. Rita Sue grills Felix on the winnings from the boxing match, and he evades her questions, and then she calls him a liar. All right, so how do you guys feel about, I guess, uh, Sophie asking uh, Ben to run away with her? She, it seems like she has wanted to leave for a very long time, but doesn't quite have the guts to do it by herself. And she also doesn't really have any sort of logical plan to it. So, of course, no one goes goes with her. Of course, Ben doesn't go with her. Just for quick side commentary, when Ben said to Sophie, Oh, are you writing with me then? Immediately, I was like, oh, it's the truck episode. Yay. It is indeed. Is, is that what the longtime fans call it? Because I, I didn't remember the truck scene. Yes. Yeah. In one of the earlier scripts, they, they suggest a few cities, but obviously the, their heart's not in it, so they don't really seem interested in going. Apparently, he is tempted to want to go with her, though. I mean, I'm sure he wants to. I think it's just, it's like something he didn't consider before. He's been all in this family and purpose and in the world. And like a lighthearted runaway from the carnival, I think was just not something that would have came to him organically. Yeah, I feel like he would have definitely said yes at another point in time. But now that he actually has a goal, like he has a mission, he needs to go to Damascus to find his father because that's where he thinks he is. But now that he's on a mission, he just can't say yes anymore. Yeah, on this, I just felt a little sad for them both because they're 
they're young and having this eloping vibe would have been really cool, but they both just have so much going on internally. Even like Sophie's suggestion, I think she's just wishful thinking. What did y'all think about Justin and Norman? Justin's really not first world problems, but I don't know, first demon problems. Do you guys think when Justin is talking to Norman about how she needs to repent and have get some redemption, is he angry that Iris went behind his back or does he think she needs to repent for God? See, I don't think it was either. Exactly. I mean, what do you think it was? He was angry at her for hiding who he was back around the asylum times. And then I think that was just, okay. He's angry and they weren't as on the same page, you know, from that point forward. And then it was just a convenient thing. Oh yeah, this will be a good thing to do. Like basically he had this detachment. I don't care necessarily what happens to her. I'm just going to do me, which happens to be conquering the world in evil. And then as it's coming to fruition, it's, ah, what's happening here? You know what I mean? Like, I think he just thought it through, but didn't expect to have these feelings. And that it's just coming out in this particular way. Like redemption from lying to him versus killing the kids? Yes. Yes. Got it. What are your thoughts, Tana? I don't know. I'm kind of thinking both. Because they grew up with the church, you would think she would be more remorseful because obviously this is like a huge sin, but she does not seem like guilty about it at all. And also, I think he is pissed off that she did it without informing him. And she just assumed that's what he wanted. But I'm not too sure if that's what really what he wanted or not. Yeah, but he seems to uh, want to teach her a lesson, which is creepy. So we'll see how that goes. As a very small detail, I loved how Norman was holding it in and doing his best Apollonian impression. And then as soon as Justin exited, he's like, Bleh. Yeah, he's uh, totally playing possum here. Which has to be so difficult on so many different levels. Not just controlling his face, but what is it? Um, basically, Justin, how he acts around him, like he has to just not be impacted whatsoever. Is there any thoughts on the Dreyfus family scene or not? I'm just curious who he was thinking of that started with a B. The famous liar? That's Rita Sue's angle. I'm just saying, if it's not Barrymore, then I, I just don't know. Eventually, he does think of a famous liar and seems so self-satisfied after. <laughs> Which is Who apparently... Is the famous liar? Uh, Emile Bassard. He's the groundskeeper for the Cleveland Indians. I did not Google him. Okay. Sophie asks Ben what exactly he needs to do and he is initially vague, but soon he tells her he is looking for his father. She vows to kill her father if they ever met and explains she was a child of rape and that's why her mother hates her. Ben says that no one can hate her. Come sunrise, the carnival convoy crosses paths with another carnival, the Daly Brothers, and they are worse for wear. Apparently, their carnival was burnt down and half the carnival had fled and now all that's left are those that have nothing. So our carnival decides to lend a hand and makes camp for the day at the side of the road. Ben goes over to Samson, wondering why they stopped, and Samson insists on the code. 
Sophie, still in the truck, hears a little girl crying outside and goes out to comfort her. When the little girl turns around, she has black eyes and speaks with Apollonia's voice. Sophie staggers back and bumps into Ben. He tells her what's happened and then makes suggestions after seeing her discomfort, but she insists on staying in the truck. So how do you guys feel about Ben and Sophie opening up about their fathers? It was a nice moment of bonding. They both come from such broken homes and having Sophie tell someone that about where she came from, it's really vulnerable. Good for them opening up to each other. Is this the scene where we first see Sabine? Yes. Then I have to say, I've thoroughly enjoyed Samson and Sabine's interaction. Yeah, I like their dynamic too. So how did you guys feel when you first saw that like another carnival was like coming around the corner? Just this general sense of foreboding. Nothing good can come from the two interacting. It was I wasn't sure if it was okay, their carnival's headed up to like troubled territory or this outfit isn't on the up and just some underhanded worry. I thought it was such a neat visual of them expanding towards this other carnival and how how large they seemed, but yet small at the same time, like large with an elephant and but they were so ramshackled and small and tattered compared to carnival. It was pretty epic seeing these two in very different states come up to each other on the road. And it was neat seeing a different variety of shows. That the he, she show, half man, half woman, like different showcase of characters. Yeah, I think this was actually shot quite beautifully. They made it, I guess, sunrise and they got like this huge crane shot with the elephant and it looks just so beautiful. And yeah, I do agree. I like that they have a different acts than what our carnival has. They have the Sabina and, and Bert and they have the fat lady and yeah. Yeah, and I was pretty impressed how I know in second season they had to reduce their budget and so they had one soundstage for all the trailers and just one large area for any outside scenes and how well they did shooting it so it still looked like a different area than where they were before. Yeah, like in season one, I think HBO wanted to actually move the carnival to different places, but then Daniel Knopf's, no, that's stupid, just make it in the same place and then just move around all like the tents so it just looked like it's a different space. Hell, even the crow house is on the same lot. They're just on the other side of the hill. And then they have that little girl there. I think she's supposed to be young Sophie. I guess she's here to remind us that Sophie is special. But what really bugs me is that her voice does not match up with her lips at all. You know, there's like a two second delay with possession. So I don't know. I give them a little grace with it. Yeah. And I've heard before that this is in theory a young Sophie, but that's not my interpretation because Sophie would recognize herself. <laughs> so I don't know. I always guess maybe it's a young Appy before she was 
kind of tattered and assaulted. Next, we see Iris kneeling upon broken mirror, saying a prayer of deliverance. Back with the carnivals, it's breakfast, and neither carnival is really mingling with the other. Bert Hagenbeck tries to butter up Samson to see if he could take him on and some of the other performers, but Samson isn't interested. Ben brings food over to Sophie. He tells her that he believes his father is in Damascus, and Sophie is reluctant to go there. She says that nothing good will come of finding his father and invites him to leave with her again, but he insists that this is something he needs to do. So how do you feel about Iris's scene? Iris is so baller. Like, none of her prayer had anything to do with forgiveness. It was all about bringing revenge and smite onto people who wanted her to hurt. Loved it. I don't quite know about her kneeling on the mirror and cutting her knees. I a little bit feel like they added that part to add some drama or grotesqueness because from what iris was saying none of what she was saying was really penance penance or asking for forgiveness so it doesn't make sense that she would try to hurt herself at least in my mind oh i just thought it was some weird version of self-flagellation in season one we had justin with the whip so i guess this would be her weird version I don't know. Yeah, but I always assumed his self-flagellation was a self-served penance. I liked how I'm just loving all the Ben-Sophie interactions this whole episode. I I thought it was great how you could see Sophie soften up in this conversation where she's, what do you got to you're not going to find anything there. And if he, he's even there, it's not going to be good. We don't have good families. And then she, I think, realized she was being mean. And you could see her face soften up. And Ben was telling her without telling her. Being like, it's not a matter of wanting to or whether this place fits me or not. It just is. I have no choice in this matter. And he doesn't. It's his role. I like how she's still sitting in the car but he's like sitting on the luggage beside the car and it kind of gives a visual cue that there's still like a barrier between them yeah but his his face was so warm and he like licked her in the eye and just had a gentle gentleness about it those two actors do so great together yeah in the commentary cleo duval says that this was her favorite scene and then she says she could do it like all day and do it like a million different times okay tommy and justin are going over plans for the sermon that evening this one will be a big deal with the loudspeaker outside the authorities will also be present as they plan on revealing the identity of the arsonist tommy says that they'll get a good lawyer for iris and she'll be okay because they don't hang women in california justin looks away smiling Come nightfall, everyone is having a good time in the gay parade tent as a party is now in full swing. Rita Sue tells Bert and Sabina about possibly purchasing an alligator farm after the carnival, and then they quickly make an excuse to leave. Libby is having a good time drinking when Burley asks her to dance. 
He does not take rejection well and makes a scene. Then Jones cuts in and punches Burley and then asks Libby to dance. So how do you guys think this uh, sermon is going to go? Not well. One thing I noticed when Tommy and Justin were talking was just like last episode when Tommy told Justin it was Iris. Like his face was just so cold. Like he couldn't care less. And of course, by the end of the episode, we know why he couldn't care less. But I think in this scene, Tommy actually notices how cold he was. Unlike the scene where he told he told Justin about Iris and no one seemed to notice that he didn't seem to have any reaction. But you could see Tommy's face being like, hmm. And then saying the bit about sorry, this must be really hard for you. And then it's Justin remembered, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be acting like this is hard for me. It was a good kind of tie to the episode before. Yeah, Justin is finding it harder to masks to mask his true feelings from Tommy Dolan. Apparently there was a, this was originally, the scene was originally a little bit longer and then they cut out a line where he says, it's a good thing she's not a man. And then I laughed. Who would get the tea and lemonade if she was a man? I know, right? Certainly not Celeste. Oh, nope. What do you guys think was up with Rita Sue talking about this alligator farm? And especially her kind of the look on her face as soon as her and Sabina leave changing. I sort of think that she wanted to live and kind of have the daydream. She was pretty drunk when she was talking. And I think it's uh, knowing that deep down that Felix doesn't have this money, but just wanting to suspend that a little while to stay in denial and talk about what they did hope for. In a way, I feel like she just wants to hype herself up and just make her life seem better than it is. Kind of like what people do now with social media. You only see the good stuff like the promotions and the vacations and whatever but she's like telling everyone about oh the big plans and dreams they have even though they probably won't come to fruition in that vein do you think maybe she's also talking because she wants to have friends and Rita Sue doesn't exactly have any friends I can see that she knows there might be a chance that they might come aboard so she might as well get to know them and be friendly. Well, yeah, and it's just, it's like outside of the strife. Either she's dealing with Felix's gambling or the business. It's just all this stress and she doesn't exactly have a supportive group of friends. That kind of died out like mid-season one, I think. That sense of camaraderie outside of the family and everything. I, I second that kind of living this life for the moment or being excited about this stray dream. She's talking to people who don't know Felix's tendencies, so they don't know what she's saying is unrealistic. Yeah, kind of like that person that's the last call at the bar, you know, really into their cups, and everyone's their friend, and they just want to share. It's the vibe I got. So how do you guys feel about Jones punching out Burley? Oh, I'm sorry. That's in Jen's deleted scenes (laughs) category. That never (laughs) happened. No, I don't want that. Burley's just none of that was necessary. 
I will hate the Libby Jonesy pairing until my dying breath. It does seem weird, to be honest. So there's two seasons of Carnival, maybe a third season, is that we do the three carnies cut of some of the episodes. Also, I think the whole Jonesy having to come in and rescue her is such a sexist, gendered trope. Honestly, I see it as pure plot device, because why else would he be around her? You know what I mean? But to be honest, she's been dealing with people much worse than Burley for a long time now, so... Uh, Burley is so one note. He used to fix things. Now, he does not. Oh, and I finally noticed the really great teeth he has, and now I can't unsee. You're welcome. You're welcome. You went a long time without noticing him, so good for you. Oh, see, the trick is you pay attention to his, his scarf or his ascot, whatever you want to call that. And then you just don't look anywhere else when you can see. I generally don't look at people's teeth, but first I noticed they were really white and blinding. Okay. Ben asks Sophie if she wants to join the party, and she rejects the offer. Rita Sue and Felix are now dancing, and she questions him about the money. He tells her it is now a larger amount than previously stated. She seems skeptical. Ben goes over to the passenger side and convinces Sophie to get out of the truck by asking her to dance, and the two of them dance in the middle of the road. Iris and Justin look on the parishioners awaiting the evening sermon, and and Iris tells him that she is not sorry for her sins, and she would do them all over again for him. Felix spots Rita Sue giving away their possessions. She wants to give things away to those less fortunate than her as they'll be able to get new things from the winnings. Felix gets angry and takes everything back. Clearly, this is done to force Felix to admit the truth. And when he does, Rita Sue just walks away. How do you guys feel about Rita Sue and Felix's financial issues coming to a head? I think first I want to mention how much I loved the scene where they were dancing together, Felix and Rita Sue. And how that was filmed and how the actors did. With each circle, when Rita Sue's face comes into frame, you could see her heart break just a little bit more. And a little bit more until the final pass. It's She's completely sad when Felix isn't looking at her. And that whole interaction with them dancing, they both know that they know i'm sure felix knows that rita sue knows and rita sue knows that felix knows she knows but they're just he's not ready to have this lie end or the fantasy end and he's not ready to face the consequences i just wish she would have just straight out called him out on his bullshit already i can get the frustration with that but felix has an addiction and so it's one of those things that they can wallow for a while and it's really hard even if you call them out and I think she has in a lot of different ways he's still gonna be evasive like what Monica was saying about until he's ready um I really liked how they shot that scene how simple it was and like once he got it out it just, I don't know. It 
it wasn't like the weight of the world was off of his shoulders, but just it was good for her in a sense that she now she could deal with it, even if he wasn't ready to. Yeah. When they're talking, Felix and Rita Sue are talking and she's lit up, but half of Felix is in the dark still. I think that was good symbolism that half of him is still in the dark and doesn't want to face this. But seeing, you know, and it was so close and it was basically just those two interacting and you could see they spent so much time letting Felix try to get the words out. And rarely does a TV show do that is just sit for multiple seconds while you see someone start to get ready to talk. And you could see him having to force it out. It was great. Yeah. And I liked how the very last piece of that was she turns her back and she walks away that he's kind of just dealing because you know until it was out he wasn't going to deal with it and so he's in this shell shock moment and she's like the show must go on i've got to keep going like that strength that she showed and and even his his vulnerability in those moments it was just again I think a lot of shows could go over the top and I just really appreciate how, like you were saying, Monica, like the letting, you know, the pause just get longer and have that time. It was just really great to watch. Yeah. And when she walks, what you were saying about when she walks out and Felix is still there, he's still doing the same hand gestures he was doing when he was trying to get ready to speak. He's still holding that cigarette and doing the, but with his hand. So many subtle little things were great. I love that scene. Any thoughts on Ben and Sophie's dance? I think it's weird. He says that he's seen her dance before, but I'm like, since when? Where did this happen? Because I don't think he's ever seen her dance. You said with the timestamp, months went by. Wasn't he also drinking when she was dancing with Libby way back when? Oh, yeah. Oh, that might be it. And that is also true. A lot of months went by. We don't know what was in them. Oh, no, just all the rays of happiness. We just got it all out while we weren't watching. I don't know. It's a cute scene. They're just, they're two people trying to figure it out amongst the many other things they've got going on. And I like that he wouldn't let her sit in the truck. And that's big for Ben. Ben's very passive. And he's just, no, we're going to do this thing. Sophie wants to retreat, and she's been retreating for a while. And so it was sweet. Yeah, and it was Ben-initiated touch. And now we know he likes music. (laughs) That's true. I like, in general, in this episode, how they've walked the story along between Iris and Justin. Like, we're going back and forth and everything. But every time they show the other side, like with the pro side, there's just a little bit more. And it just stretches out. And I think it's... It it just made me go like, yes, fine, they're dancing. Back to the crows. I want to see what happens. Oh, do you think Iris fears consequences for her actions? I don't know that fearing consequences is the right mind frame. Like, she doesn't necessarily care if she did what she did. I think she just wants to still, you know, follow the, the ministry and everything. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think she has 
fear right now of going to jail and what can happen to jail and fear of not being around Justin and pulled away from that and not impacting the ministry. I think it's fear for her own suffering versus fear of consequences from what she did. Because she clearly has some sort of fear because when she was praying, she was crying and there was also like fear and anger in there. Okay. <laughs> do you think she fears consequences? I do, do think she's afraid of being called out as the arson is. And then like she fears maybe getting sent to an institution or something. All right. Lila is cozying up to Charlie Lewis and invites him back to her tent later. Libby and Jones are now slow dancing and they are spotted by Felix, who scowls. Ben and Sophie succumb to the romantic tension and start to kiss. They are soon interrupted by a vision of Apollonia screaming no at Sophie, which causes her to freak out. Ben doesn't see her, but he holds her face and heals her so her mother wouldn't haunt her anymore. Sophie is confused by what just happened, but she is thankful. Libby is showing Jones how to dance until Felix starts to pick a fight with Jones. He says he's tired of Jones infesting his family, first with his wife and now his daughter. Jones is reluctant to fight until he receives a fist to the face, and then it's game on. All right. First things first, Lila and Charlie, Lu Charlie Lewis. Do we ship it? Yes? No? Yes. If it allows me to ship Lila off the carnival, then yeah. I liked her having a plot point that wasn't loads or some sort of interaction that wasn't revolving around loads. And it was nice to see her kind of happy and be like flirty Lila again. Yeah, I really like Lila in this episode. She seems to be enjoying herself and having a lot more fun and being flirty and yeah, a lot more likable here. Yeah, it was cute if this wasn't the scene, sorry, but it was cute seeing Lila and the other performers from the other carnival gossiping about other show people and Lila finding out that the other bearded lady, it was a gaff. That's my favorite scene. <laughs> Out of this whole episode, that's your favorite scene? It's one of them, yes. <laughs> I was very pleased with, if it's okay if we move to Ben and Sophie now, because that's really all I want to talk about ever in this episode. I was very pleased that Ben and Sophie finally kissed. I was also really pleased with how they showed them awkwardly going in for the kiss. It it took a while and there was awkward leaning forwards and it felt more natural than most TV show kisses, which I really appreciate. Yeah, I like that aspect too. It seems very like two teenagers in a car kind of thing. That's I'm in my 40s and that's still how I lean into the first kiss. Sure. Yeah. Pure awkwardness. How do you feel about Apollonia in the window? I think she's a credit to the abstinence-only educational program. Oh, 100%. I also say this because in, in all the scripts, she's screaming no while they're having sex and not when they're kissing. Oh, geez. Yeah, but the vision during the sex is like her like skin is burning off and her hair is on fire. So that's fun. I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah, saves money. <laughs> 
Plus, I just think it'd be really too much at once. And I think it would change the dynamic of the sex. Like, they wouldn't keep going and keep having sex if she's having those visions. I think watching this, I was wondering if, so Ben on paper heals Sophie and stops these visions or these, her mother appearing or haunting or however you want to say it. But as I was watching it, I was thinking, what if he's healing her on paper, but it is going to cause Sophie longer term repercussions? Maybe Apollonia was still keeping an eye out for Sophie and watching out for Sophie in some sort of way. And he now took that protection from her. Yeah, I could see that because to this whole thing, Apollonia has just been trying to protect her from everything. So now if she doesn't have that anymore, she can't warn her of stuff, et cetera, et cetera, without going into spoilers. And what are your thoughts of Felix finally picking a fight with Jones? I think in typical Felix fashion, he's looking for someone else to blame so he doesn't have to feel the weight of the consequences of his actions. And Jonesy is such a good candidate for that. He's seen Jonesy flirt with his daughter. Jonesy has slept with his wife. He's looking at someone he envies to a certain amount, to a certain extent, and he just really wants do some damage yeah i think felix this is one of felix i don't know if i'm gonna say this right but this is one of how felix lies and how it's known that the best liars use a little bit of truth in their lie the truth that felix is using is yeah it's easy for jonesy to move on Felix's young daughter after he just had sex with his wife. Like, that is skeezy. And that is the truth to it. But I totally agree with you, Jen. That's not his motivation. He's just using that truth as an excuse to blame someone and also to get someone to punish himself by getting someone to beat him up. Yeah. And as a very not exactly minor detail, but in the background, I really love um, Libby in this because she's seeing somebody I think she's crushing on and then her dad like fighting and she's just completely torn up and I just thought it was in I'm glad they didn't forget about her even though I know that wasn't the focus of the scene I think it was important to include that aspect because in the midst of them duking it out I mean she is the collateral damage. Sophie and Ben confess that they've always had each other in mind ever since first sight and they start making out heavily. Felix and Jones's fight makes its way outside the tent, and their fight is interspersed with Ben and Sophie, who are now having sex. When they climax, the sky opens up, and it causes a big rainstorm. Ben rolls down the window and catches some rain in his hand and then caresses her face. Jones delivers one last punch and tells Felix to stay down. Felix says Jones fucked up his family, and he's defending his family's honor. But Rita Sue disagrees, but she still helps him up. Jones stumbles over to the truck to collect Ben for rousty duty, but gets embarrassed after seeing the two of them together and leaves. Ben reluctantly leaves Sophie in the truck again once more. All right. This is such an upgrade from shirtless Ben, Monica. I think this is all you right now. <laughs> 
Okay, first Sophie and Ben, and then the fight. I like that they awkwardly kiss, and now they're cuddling and basically essentially saying, I like you, you like me, and being super sensitive. And then I think their sex scene was really one of the hottest sex scenes I've seen on TV ever when he caresses her hair when she puts her forehead on his chest i was just ah i'm beclamped and i just really appreciated that it like i've said this before i like that the women characters also are sexual beings and i like that it showed shofi having a good time and feeling pleasure so much tv is the men having an orgasm and then rolling off and that's the end of sex they both really enjoyed it and they both had an orgasm yeah i'll stop spieling for a sec i do agree i think their scene is really surprisingly sexy (laughs) which is generally not the case i find them usually weird and awkward (laughs) i had two thoughts about those scenes together with them The first was the owner and proprietor of Sally's Cafe has just been, you know, outdone. The second being Ben changed his tune to premarital sex real quick. He was talking to Ruthie. He's like, it was a sin. And now he's like in a car with Sophie's. But otherwise. Yeah. To me, it's just they found someone that they genuinely like and want to do that with. Whereas their previous partners, they weren't really that into it. And this one, they are very into it. That's lovely. Yeah. And I think the fact that Nick Stahl and Clea Duvall were friends probably enabled a really nice comfort level with each other filming this scene. She says they were very nervous. (laughs) And she thought it was awkward. But you can't tell. That's really good. However, she also said that when she left the stage, there was a 75 extras just like waiting on the other side of the door. So she assumes they like heard like everything. So she thought that was really embarrassing. I love how this episode spends almost all the episode just slowly building up to this. Like spending, it's with them throughout their whole day in this truck together and they took their time with it loved it loved it Mm -hmm. this is like basically the whole point of this episode yeah they really needed this to happen (laughs) yeah because the rain yes that rain so do you guys think them the power of them orgasming combined brought out the rain Or do you think it was just a timing coincidence? Oh, hell no. It's not a coincidence. Because we know, like, avatars like Ben can affect the weather. And we figured that out in the Black Blizzard episode. So it makes sense to me that they caused it to rain. Yeah, although I'm more inclined to think that it's more as a result that they are more controlled over their abilities most times. But they were just really distracted. In this area. In the pants area? They're wearing pants, Monica. <laughs> Are we sure? Because he was totally wearing some like two seconds later after he left the truck. She definitely wasn't. She has no. the 
the smock of season two. So questionable 50% pants, I guess. There's not a lot of room in there. No, I assumed his pants was down at his ankles or something. In the Jen's director's cut of this episode, I just want to say it would be very implied that they are in equal states of undress. Do you guys think Jonesy cared? About being punched? <laughs> no, about finding Ben and Sophie. Oh, <laughs> sorry. In the, in, in the no pants dance off. Not so much. I think, remember when he like dropped the baseball? I think he found peace about it all. Yeah, I didn't see him being hurt as much as surprised, but maybe that's just me. Maybe a little. I just really don't think he was expecting to stumble into that. <laughs> yeah, I think there was mostly surprise. I think there was probably a little bit of hurt in his face, but I don't think much. Sometimes when your ex moves on and gets together with someone, even though you don't want to be with your ex and you have also moved on, it's still sometimes, they're over me. I thought they'd never date again until they died. As they should not have. As they should not have. I also get annoyed that, okay, they just had this fight and there's like a whole ton of Rowskies next to him, but he's got to stumble all the way to this truck to collect Ben because now he needs to report for duty even though he hasn't done anything like half a season and then Ben goes along with it <laughs> like what <laughs> and there was oh like my God. no blood on Jonesy's face <laughs> no, right? but yeah I do get that he needs to burst their bubble and then we gotta leave Sophie alone again poor Sophie doesn't get the post sex cuddle alright any thoughts on the fight I felt really bad for Rudisu and Libby at the end of it. Them being silly and punching it out. Yeah, they are being dum-dums. But like Rudisu picking him up and walking away and Libby bawling her eyes out. Yeah, I would agree. It was beautiful visuals having Felix be rained on and Rudisu show up being soft. But it's just, this is her burden throughout their whole marriage is picking up picking up Felix and carrying him. Yeah, I also really like when uh, Rita Sue was helping him up and it was only just her and everyone else is just watching and then they're all soaked to the bone and just goes show like how strong, I guess, their relationship is even after all the drama and everything they wouldn't trade it because you know they'd be no takers all right at the sermon justin announces that the investigation for the arson fire has been successful and the perpetrator has signed a confession he calls upon tommy dolan to read aloud said confession iris thinks she's about to be outed and she's visibly shaken only while reading the statement does Tommy realize that it's actually his confession instead of Iris's, and he is arrested by the police. Tommy insists on the truth, but no one is listening to him, and he curses Justin as he is being taken away. Then we have Sophie reveling in the rain until she hears Justin's broadcast. As soon as he speaks, the rain immediately stops, and she turns her full attention to the radio intrigued. Lila is at her vanity when she hears someone at the entrance and invites them in. When they don't enter, she goes over and sees that it's Ruthie with blind eyes. 
where's the boy she says then collapses goodbye tommy dolan it was nice knowing you goodbye tommy and your chiseled bone structure okay jen since you didn't quite know what happened since it's been so long since you watched this were you surprised or were you like yeah yeah i saw that coming honestly i was down the middle because they played it so well yeah iris could have been the one dragged off in shackles but equally possible was i mean i didn't think about necessarily tommy but just anybody oh how about this person who's been around or this background character so i I guess it was just uh this like okay they've resolved this power and, and tommy is no more his smooth jazz voice will no longer grace the presence of the airwaves in the 1930s it's sad but i thought everyone did just amazing as far as his surprise especially when he looks at and goes oh that's my signature oh no and then iris because she doesn't know and and justin just played everything like close to the vest so that whole and again, they walked this through the last bit episodes and then just kept building it this entire episode. And I thought it was really cool how they did that. Yeah, I remember last episode when, I, when they were writing out Iris's confession and then we asked you, what do you think's going to happen? And then you pretty much guessed what just happened. And I was muted, but I was like screaming. You know what's funny is I don't even remember what I had thought. So thanks. <laughs> I tend to watch these very fresh and like in this silo. And for my next trick, nothing. Monica, since you watched this as it was airing, was that like a big reveal on the boards and such? Yeah, it was, but it it wasn't. I think I'm, I'm trying to remember what the general consensus it was. I know I was very surprised by what went down. I thought there was a 50-50 chance Justin would not throw her under the bus, but I didn't expect he would throw Tommy under the bus instead. That was a surprise to me. And once Tommy started reading the confession, I remember being like, oh, shit. But that totally making sense and being like, oh, that's right. He can force people to write things like his manifesto. If I remember right, in general, people were surprised how it went down. The good old days of live TV. It's also, it was harder to, because it was live TV and there was a week between viewings, like you couldn't binge watch like four episodes in a row. It was a little bit harder to piece by piece little hints together. And if I watched this as it aired, I'd be like, all over the internet and all the forums and trying to decipher stuff would have been so much fun. You would have been like the mad data gatherer. Oh yes, and what is this? Okay, and then you just like fire it away. The internet would not have had a chance against your mind, Dana. Thank you, thank you. I was bummed that it was not Charlie at Lila's door. I was really hoping she'd have some non-loads fun time. We don't know how our night ended. Maybe she, like, they get her some Charlie Levin. I think Ruthie killed the mood, man. Hey, listen, I'm just looking at it that Sophie had a psychotic breakdown of her mom haunting her when she was about to get some, and they turned it around. I just, I think, <laughs> I think it's possible. And for the record, it wasn't Ruthie that killed the mood. It was loads that killed the mood. 
Ah, true. Also, if you guys were wondering what Ruthie and Samson were doing this whole time, they were playing cards. Wait, Ruthie and Samson or like Sabine and Samson? No, Ruthie and Samson were like what they were doing during the party because they're like noticeably absent from everything. They would have made a cute couple. Though Samson does seem to prefer blondes. All right, Sophie in the rain and then Justin's broadcast comes on. And the rain immediately stops. So just wondering what, if you guys had any thoughts or comments on that one. I do not. I didn't really either. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> it was a pretty quick moment. Did you? I just thought it was a very pivotal moment for Sophie because she had this nice one with Ben and then she's just like being like cleansed by the rain and then she hears Justin whispering in the other ear or something and she seems rather drawn to his voice so it makes me wonder if he will be able to influence her in the future I think she doesn't have the barrier of her mom in her head and so it's making her more vulnerable to Justin's radio magic mm-hmm. I agree in the morning, Samson goes over to Sabina and offers her a job, and they work out a deal, which includes her husband, Bert. Sabina confesses that a bald man was nosing around the carnival before the fire, and Samson immediately suspects it was Barlin. Samson tells this to Ben, and they decide that Ben should drive on ahead to Damascus. Ben asks why he trusts why Samson trusts Sabina, and he admits that they were married. Ben goes to say goodbye to Sophie, but she is still sleeping, so he kisses her and leaves. Marlin spies on them from on top of the hill, and he gets into the car he stole from the Daily Brothers and makes to follow Ben. I flippin' love Sabina. I just want to say that right off the bat. Yeah, me too. Her sly smiles. Love them. Like, I want her and Rita Sue to do, like, a morning hour talk show with, like, coffee. I would watch that every day and twice on Sunday. I just really enjoyed her. Because we normally get, like, really cool minor characters, and she just really felt like a breath of fresh air for the show. I don't know how long we get her, but for every moment she's on screen, I'm calling her a treasure. Oh, I love her. I think she's great. And I think that the reveal that they're actually married is quite funny. Well, they have some real chemistry, her and Samson. We've seen him with um, a lady of ill repute, but actually liking someone or friendly, not so much. And I, I really like them both on screen together. Yeah, she for sure had a flirting tone with Samson. And I also liked when she was talking about Bert. She's not going to come on without him. And Samson was being, what do you care about him? And her smile, it was great. Absolutely. Yes, there's probably plot points in there too, but I was just geeking out over like the, the how they were interacting. That was my favorite part of that bit. What are y'all thinking about the uh, cat and mouse game that Varlin's playing? A lot less Tom and Jerry, more crazy, violent, but. I think it was, I, I think he's really smart to just hang back and spy on him. And it's interesting to think back about how I think that carnival got burned down Ultimately, because Samson said, you should try the Bailey brothers. I heard he went there. So I think that was just an interesting callback. I'm with you. I like that he's been very methodical the entire way and very 
calm with the exception of that big scene he had with Samson. I think he's a pretty formidable, I won't say number two, henchman is a better way of looking at him. Yeah. I, I think I would have liked to seen Samson feel a little bit more, oh shit, was that my fault? Because he is the one that pointed Varlin to the Bailey brothers. Ultimately, Barnum did the actual setting on fire, but Samson sent them in that direction. I get that, but right now he only thinks that nobody, like he doesn't know that Marlon murdered the the Daly brothers. I think maybe like when they get run out of town, that's one thing and maybe one level of aggression. And so maybe he'd have a, a bigger reaction if he knew everything like the specifics, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah, but even if he didn't know that the Daly brothers are dead themselves, he knows that he split up the show and that carnival. And according to him, they have, even in this episode, they have, quote unquote, a code. I guess I just don't see as much out of character because I think Samson would do anything to protect his carnival family. And even to the point where it's putting one danger into another area. So I don't know. I just I think he's a very practical person. But I don't know. Maybe he'll have conscious feelings later. I don't know, Athena. What do you think? Do you think that uh, Samson should feel worse or have, you know, thoughts about it? Well, in the show, I feel like he doesn't seem to realize that, like, how... I guess the fire happened like it doesn't isn't till the end of the episode where Sabina says that there was some bald guy hanging around that seemed really suspicious because Samson was thinking the Daly brothers themselves did it because for whatever reason and so now he isn't like suspicious didn't think it's like suspicious until she mentioned something so maybe he might start to feel guilty. Yeah, I was thinking of that conversation that Samson had with Ben after he was told that it was the cop guy or the quote unquote cop guy. He was talking to Ben like Sabina said the bald guy was hanging around them and didn't mention, like, oh, shit, I sent him to the Daily Brothers show. Or even I told him to search for you in the Daily Brothers. Maybe I'm less uppity that he didn't feel guilty enough but more uppity that it seemed like Samson just totally forgot he did that from what we saw. I feel like in one of the early scripts, they try to maybe make him feel more guilty. Like he has a scene with, in the management trailer, he's talking to management and Samson didn't even want to stop for these people. And then management convinces him we need to help them out because there is a code. And then management suggests to Samson to recruit Sabina because she would be a good act for the carnival and then Samson just rolls over but they don't really have any of that here or that didn't I don't know make the cut anyway but I feel like that would have given a nice dynamic I think. Iris is fiercely chopping carrots completely furious at the stunt Justin pulled the night before and the English she was put through and then Justin again insists on redemption through sacrifice and seems pleased with himself. And they don't seem to care about Tommy Dolan one bit. Carnival says goodbye to the Daily Brothers and continues their voyage to Damascus. 
the camera pans over to reveal Sophie is sitting under a tree, watching them leave. And then when they are out of sight, she picks up her bag and she walks off. All right. So what are your thoughts on Justin and Iris's scene? I think the only way she could have been more aggressive with her cooking is if she started throwing knives into a watermelon or something. That was like some really serious chopping. Yeah. Screw those carrots. I I liked it was interesting, though, to see that there's still a rift between Iris and Justin going on how she still is super angry at him. To compare it to the scene in the church where Tommy Dolan went down, Justin's holding Iris's shoulders and she's got her hand on him. And they're like, once has a feeling of, oh, once again, they're unified front. They're essentially just one entity on this church. And then it goes to this scene on the porch and it's like, nope, they're not. I also noticed Justin called Iris dear. When he was talking to her and it was very very much like how you would converse to a longtime wife that you have affection for that you're not quite super paying attention to yes dear and i thought that was interesting how they're they're for sure got a husband wife partnership in a way yeah, if I feel like if they didn't actually address like what kind of relationship they had, I would assume they were married. I honestly saw them weaving in and out of that, the two different sides, the like the long-term partnership and then also a little bit of like sibling uh, fighting. <laughs> the way she expressed her anger just reminded me of like siblings fighting, but then the yes dear was very much, I've listened to you my whole life. Yes dear, that kind of thing. But uh, I, yeah. I like the undertones of their interactions at the end. Why do you guys think Iris brought out Russian? And then also, why do you guys think that Justin shut that down right away, saying mother's dead? I'm of the opinion that people who, I'm just really speaking anecdotally, like being um, raised by someone whose like primary language wasn't English is when frustration happens the other language, the primary one would come out. I don't know if that's true for everyone. But that's like just my experience. And that's how I viewed that. I think him shutting it down, though, was the content of whatever she said. Not necessarily that she was going into another level or something. Hey, she says, or is supposed to have said, because I've heard the Russian in the show is gibberish. But anyways, she's supposed to have said that mother would be appalled. Or mother would have been appalled, I should say. Oh, yeah, that would super push someone's buttons. Okay, and also another thing that they shot but didn't put it in the episode is that she actually does cut her fingers from chopping the knife. And then Justin, I don't know, he puts her fingers in his mouth and then when he brings them out, they're healed. But I'm like, that's not your power. They just want to be more creepy and more sexual. <laughs> Man. The foreplay that they do. I also like the idea of Iris not cutting her fingers. I like it better that she's angry, but in control. That she doesn't get sloppy with the knife. Yeah, I think that would suit her character more. Because even though everything is chaos around her, she's always seems super calm and composed. And she generally appears outwardly. She has it that she has it together yeah 
And she's angry, but she's also purposely chopping the carrots really loud to annoy Justin. So it's there's a purpose to it and not just her getting frustration out. Absolutely. I mean, they have a kitchen. Yeah, totally. How do you guys feel about Sophie finally leaving the carnival? I wish Ben would have woken her up and said goodbye or something or asked her to come with him. Maybe if that happened, she wouldn't have left. Right at the end, she has Justin whispering in her ear. He's He'll be that little imaginary devil on your shoulder. And then I guess Ben would be the version of the angel whispering something good. Then, But the last thing she heard was like, come join me in whatever or something, perhaps. And then if the last thing she heard was maybe Ben being, hey, why don't you come into town with me or something? Then maybe she would have done that instead. Or maybe at least waited till he come back or something. Yeah. Why don't you put your face on my face instead? She doesn't know that because she was asleep, she doesn't know that Ben came in to say goodbye. All she knows is Ben's not there. Her character doesn't know that he wanted to say goodbye. From her point of view, he disappeared. I honestly think it's pretty cool that she's going off on her own because... She, it's independence, it's empowering. She's leaving the only world she's ever known for a completely unknown world. And I think that it would have been cool to either have some kind of resolution with Ben or some kind of tandem adventure with him. But the fact that she's going to do what she wants to do on her own, I think it's really in line with her character. And I feel it, it sets her up to develop into something all her own when she's not underneath her mother or the carnival. That's true. Yeah, I can agree with that. Also, I, I noticed that she touches her face before she leaves, and that's where Ben touched her face with the rain. So that makes me think she's, I don't know, thinking of him or something. I just thought she was wiping down tears. Yeah, <laughs> she could. Because even though she's has wanted to leave for a long time. It's still a big part of her life and saying goodbye is, it's still melancholy. Do you want to talk about favorite characters? Yes! Monica's favorite character is the truck. (laughs) (laughs) That's what created all the magic. (laughs) I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. Who's your actual favorite character? This is the first time I've chosen him throughout the whole series, but I am actually going to go with Ben. I just liked that he had some smiles when he talked to Sophie, and I liked that he reached out and asked her to dance in the road, and that they cuddled, and that he brought her food. Yeah, he was my favorite. I'm going to go with Sophie, because this is pretty much her episode. She's the star here. I think Clea Duval did a really great job. Yeah, I'm going to go with her. And then, of course, Ben was really sweet, too. So, yay. Kissy finger gestures. Kissy finger gestures. How about you, Jen? I can't decide exactly. I loved Rita Sue in this episode because of just the array of emotions that she had to convey and had a lot of just like nonverbal emotion. But I really like Sabina too. I think Rita Sue wins out for me though, just because, again, a different kind of strength is what she was showing. And it was like a, a touch of vulnerability. And I thought that was 
beautiful in a tragic kind of way. Yeah. I think for actors and performance, you know, since you mentioned Rita Sue, I would like to give the special nod award to Toby Huss. The moment when Felix and Rita Sue are at the track and he's trying to well, through throughout most of the episode, Toby Huss acting like a liar was great, but seeing the stressed out behind the eyes. But when he's trying to spit out words and actually say the truth, and he's just hemming and hawing and getting quiet, and his hand gestures, Toby Huss did amazing. I agree completely. Me too. I'm sure both of you can tell by this recording that this is probably one of my favorite episodes for the whole show. Where did this rank for you guys, and especially Jen, since this is more of a fresher feeling for you? I don't know. I think it's a very solid episode. It's one of the few that everything ties in together really well. And going back from the carnival to the pro household and back again. So I'd rate it in like the top five, but not my favorite. And then I was trying to remember what my favorite was. But I guess I just view it as like a solid act two material. So there's nothing I hated about it, nothing I disliked about it. I guess for me, it was the buildup, kind of building up into the second leg of the season. So I appreciate that, but it didn't have any huge gut-wrenching moments for me. Yes, I rank this one quite highly. This is also one of my favorites. I love meeting the new carnival. I like the shippy stuff. And this episode just has a lot of really good character moments. Not a lot happens plot-wise, but a lot happens incident-wise. I feel this episode is very much setting up the board for the rest of the season. I always feel this episode is the one where you're on top of the drop of the roller coaster. It's not much action, but so much happens that affects the characters. There was a lot of character drama, but it didn't feel like a weirdo soap opera love triangle just human struggles and effects of what happened previously yeah i'm excited for the next half of the season me too i'm gonna say the rest of the season's totally mediocre so jen isn't hyped up too much hey hey, hey. my hype train can go fast it's okay (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry it sucks sorry don't want to put too high expectations on this Oh, all my expectations are I'm going to have a whole tray of bonbons for the finale and just be completely immersed. I'll do something like with surround sound. I don't even know. I'll make it big. Yeah, good plan. Oh, I was also happy that Sophie got out of her dirty nightgown. Good for her putting on a smart outfit and going to face the world. Ugh, I hated that nightgown. It's so gross looking. Oh, I loved it because it was so gross looking. She basically was the original Dobby. The original what? Dobby from Harry Potter is the thing. House elf, I think. I'm not surrounded by Harry Potter fans. What? (laughs) I got you, Jen. (laughs) It's okay. Basically, he wears a a smock too that is of a certain kind of quality. And that is why I related the two things. And there, now you don't have to see any of the Harry Potter movies. You're, You're set. I liked that it was dirty because it felt more authentic. True. And then at the end of the night, it was dirty figuratively and literally. 
<laughs> okay, I'm done. I'm not even, I, you have, no, you, you know what I'm thinking. I don't have to say anything. And then I also get annoyed because now they removed the bandage and then they just made a bruise over the tattoo. But I think it would have been too much time has passed for that. But Sophie's arms to you is Burley's teeth to me. I know. <laughs> Which is like the bear hat to me. It's so green, though. Actually, speaking of uh, the makeup department, did they like do better with Nick Stahl's makeup this episode? Or was that just the lighting? Or maybe he's slept. Maybe. I feel as Ben comes into his own more, he gets more more mature, more manly-ish. And I think it might be, as you said, Jen, that he's getting more sleep. He hasn't been having, or at least they haven't shown him have those nightmares in quite a while. Yeah, maybe. Ben could probably use the therapist, too. Yeah. Definitely. Got a got a lot of mother issues to work through. Honestly, if we we're talking about the mental health collective, I think that the whole carnival could have a resident physician there. Felix and Rita Sue could do some couples counseling, learn how to communicate and be honest with each other. Lila could address her, I've got no direction in my life, problems. I think Samson's the most well-adjusted person there, if I'm thinking about it. Yeah. There was this really interesting scene in the in the final script that they shot but didn't put in the episode where actually Ben opens up to Sophie about his mother he initially thought their relationship was normal until he got to the working farm and then seeing all the cons talk about their moms and so that's what really made him realize that it wasn't normal at all there's this line that says Sophie gazes at him enthralled. This is as many words as she's heard Ben string together. That just makes me laugh. Oh, yeah. Because it's true. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Literally, this is like almost a page and a half, too. <laughs> that brings us to the end of our discussion of The Road to Damascus. I hope you all enjoyed listening. Once again, my name is Tana. And my name is Monica. And I'm Jen. If you'd like to have contact with us, please email us at threecarniespodcast at gmail.com. If you feel so inclined, we appreciate it when you rate us. Please join us next week when we discuss Damascus. Thanks, listeners. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.